Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan. Big show planned for you today. Silly season in the SEC has sort of stopped. It's sort of stopped. We have a coach at the University of Tennessee. Josh Heupel has been hired. And of course, we will get to all that information coming up in just a minute. We will react to the press conference, of course. We will take a look at the four new coaches this week on the show, Aaron, and just sort of rank those folks uh, as well. And and we'll talk with Bill Connolly uh, of ESPN, who's going to give us sort of some like nerdy metric data on Josh Heupel and in his job at UCF and Missouri, what makes him a good fit potentially at Tennessee and some of his weaknesses as well. We will talk with Justin Ferguson as well from the Auburn Observer to go a deep, deep dive into Brian Harson, one of the new coaches, of course, in the SEC at Auburn. So we'll talk about that. But first, Aaron, everyone should rate, review, and subscribe. But also, they need to go to a restaurant now in Nashville because we are proud to present our title sponsor who is going to help produce and create this show for all of you every single week. Jasper's in Nashville from the wonderful people at Four Top Hospitality that have over three decades of experience in this market creating kick-ass food, Amerigo, Etch, etc., Char, Saltine, all these great restaurants. Deb Paquette's menu is the menu at Jasper's. They are now our title sponsor, Aaron. Welcome to the show, Jasper's. And it's absolutely delicious. Deb is like the actual MVP of all things food. This place is is delicious. She's exceptional. Super big, like, so again, a couple of items here before we get to the actual food. If you're worried about parking in downtown Nashville, don't, because Jasper's has free parking. If you're worried about being safe, which everyone should be, because, you know, pandemic times, uh, 9,000 square feet, huge in there. The bar is massive. They got a game room. They've got a market where you can grab and go stuff. They've got a dining hall, which is a little bit more, I don't want to say formal because it's not. <laughs> it's very casual, uh, but wonderfully colored carpet in that in the dining room. And they got like a shuffleboard with like a fireplace that feels like a library, like just really spaced out, really safe. And oh, by the way, the food is spectacular as well. I, I had some shrimp and goodies the other day, which was absolutely delightful. I'm just going to say delightful. Well, I'm also like, you know how I feel about tequila. I absolutely love tequila and they have all of their drinks. Like they have three, like on tap quote unquote, but they're like mixed drinks. So this is like a Blanco tequila, tequila margarita with like agave, lemon, lime, everything's fresh squeezed. Cause I don't think Deb would have it any other way. (laughs) And they have it on tap. And she, I didn't even know it was on tap till I finished it. And I was like, that was delicious. And she was like, bet you didn't know it was on tap. I was like, what? So uh, So obviously the food is spectacular. The desserts are also spectacular as well. Um, And again, the grab and go market, all kinds of cool stuff. But here's the thing. Are you a little jealous that the gold standard, our Nashville Predators podcast, has a cocktail already at Jasper's? You can buy the gold standard, which is a whiskey drink with some unsweet tea, some limoncello, orange it's named the gold standard after a podcast which means i've reached sort of peak my life i'm fine with with dying now uh do it sounds like you are campaigning for a tequila cocktail from yeah Jasper's. i'm pissed and i don't since you went and got a drink with the other show on 440 i'd say <laughs> screw you and i'm gonna have them name this drink after me specifically i think that's okay we can have Thank you we can have the Dugan and it just be tequila. <laughs> just straight tequila. So so let's get with Jasper's and let's see if we can get Fringe Element and Aaron Dugan a cocktail. Uh, go check out the website, of course, and, and go check out the Twitter handle. Go check out the menu. It is spectacular. Go check out the queso. They, uh, dude, the, the charred broccoli and the Tex-Mex black beans, spectacular. They've got a... The, the catfish tostadas are amazing. I just I can, I can keep going. Like it's just, I know. It's really good. It, I'm picky, too. It's like elevated sports bar, like sports bar with like good food. That's not going to make you feel like you ate at Broadway, you know, the night before. So, and tons of parking. Have I mentioned the free parking? There's free parking. We should stop ourselves because we could keep going like this for forever. I know. I know. All right. We got to talk SEC football at some point, but again, welcome to the show. And those of you who do listen to the show, please, please go check out Jasper's. They, they support the show. So you need to go support them. That's how this works. That That's how this, this whole thing works. That's so they, the rule. It is snowing. It was 68 degrees yesterday in Nashville, and now it is snowing. I am off my game. All right. With that being said, we will hear from Bill Connolly coming up in a few minutes with a quick, a short interview, like seven minutes of his thoughts on on Josh Heupel as the Tennessee head football coach. We'll get to some press conferences. Aaron, you actually 
have spoken to a friend who played as an athlete in the UCF athletic department under Danny White and while Correct. Josh Heupel was there. So we'll hear from uh, them as well. And you'll hear from Justin Ferguson, Auburn Observer, going to go do a deep dive into Brian Harson and, and what Auburn's roster could look like coming up next season in just a few minutes. But just first, Aaron, your thoughts. Um, when you saw the announcement, Josh Heupel sort of rumored Tuesday night, became official Wednesday morning, press conferences Wednesday afternoon. What do you think Josh Heupel, new head football coach, University of Tennessee? Well, I, I mean, I've, I've followed, you know, UCF's, you know, the last few seasons I live in SEC world or did um, with my last job. So I kind of end up with blinders on sometimes, but it was hard to ignore UCF and what they were able to do over the course of the last few years. And um, obviously, <laughs> yeah, self-proclaimed. I said that to my friend. She didn't like that. She thinks it's real. <laughs> um, no, no, she doesn't. I mean, she, meh. Danny White came up with it, and I don't. I know he doesn't even think it's real. It's a genius marketing campaign. I must give it to him. It is. I mean, I think she knows, but I don't think she wanted to say that. Anyways, um, <laughs> I, I was very impressed with what he was able to do. I think I learned a lot more, which, again, press conference nerd, um, you know, just watching him today and just seeing, you know, the, the, the pairing makes sense to me. I know that's a hard hit for UCF losing both of those guys in a week. But I think it's exactly what Tennessee needed, which is alignment, at least between the AD and the head coach. And it's seeming like now the university, like you said, is kind of made a plan and is executing it. So I think this makes sense for Tennessee to get them back on track, just having some alignment and some history. And hopefully, you know, this game of, of uh, Tetris will work. So I, I am, I, I have some, cons I think there's some positives, some negatives about Josh Heupel. The positives are that he has head coaching experience, unlike Jeremy Pruitt, um, is, is a guy who knows how to like run a program, unlike Jeremy Pruitt. Um, and I, I think developed an offense at Missouri. He was a coordinator at Missouri for two years under with Drew Locke as the quarterback. They immediately went from, you know, and you'll hear Bill, Bill Connolly talk about this a little bit. They went from one of the worst offenses in the country to one of the best. I have, quite, you know, the program itself at UCF, he took over when Scott Frost, it was perfect. Literally, we just joked about it. They were 13-0. They have progressively gotten worse every year. One loss, first place, you know, three losses, second place, four losses, third place is the three-year progression for Josh Heupel at UCF. On the surface, that's a concern. They were two and eight in close games, so every one of his eight losses was a close game. Those tend to go back to 50-50 propositions over time, so that suggests that maybe he was a little unlucky at UCF to some degree because um, they blew people out when they won, essentially. My biggest issue is, is sort of like, is the stage too big for him? Because yeah. not, not, not only is the SEC tough, but the SEC East with Georgia and Florida in Knoxville with that particular fishbowl job is very tough. And recruiting and defense are major questions for me. I, I just and the window's small, like it's we're it's upon us. So like things are coming up quickly. So I, he doesn't have like a lot of time to pivot either. No, and again, if you're gonna be a really really good G five coach, and Josh Heupel is one of those names. He's not my top candidate, but he's one of the better, more respected G five coaches in the country. You should be the best recruiter. Like your team should be recruiting the best players in your conference. They did that his first year. They were the number one class in the AAC second year in the state of Florida with the biggest athletic department, highest paid AD, best stadium, most facilities, all the, like the best of everything in the AAC. They had the seventh best recruiting class in the, in the AAC that year. And then next last year, he had the fourth best recruiting class in the AAC. My concern about recruiting is you, sh if you're a, a really, really good coach who can recruit in the SEC, you should be dominating recruiting in the state of Florida at a lower level like the lower you go the easier it is to dominate I mean you make a strong case there especially with the the perfect season you know him coming in after that it's you know it's hard to not the recruiting class looked great that year but how is it not how would it not you're 13 and 0 um so if things you know kind of declining after that yeah I could see why that raises concerns and also you know where you rank in your conference being again, like you said, out of the state of Florida, there are a lot of very talented players out of the state of Florida. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a really, really large pool. So to come in, you know, fourth and seventh in the ACC, I, I could see why that would, that would raise some flags for you from, you know, getting guys through the door. Like Tennessee is probably the sixth or seventh best job in the SEC. 
maybe fifth on any given year. So that's where about you should recruit, right? Like give or take five, six or seven in the, in the SEC. You could argue UCF is by far the best job in the AAC and therefore should be recruiting like it's the best job in the, it's the Alabama of the AAC. And instead they recruited like Ole Miss for, for two years. And that's my concern. So again, doesn't mean he's going to be a bad coach. Doesn't mean he's a bad hire. I think he's a huge upgrade on Jeremy Pruitt. I think, you know, brass tacks, huge upgrade on Jeremy Pruitt. I think Danny White conducted the process like an adult, sort of the way Alan Green did. And we're going to talk about that with, with Justin Ferguson as well about Auburn, the way a professional athletic director is supposed to handle things. And that's you, all positive stuff. If you didn't go with your initial plan, which was what you said was pause um, and announce um, Kevin Steele as the interim head coach and then you know, wait or whatever. But so if you don't go that route and you hire a new coach, what would you have rather see happen? A lot of names. <laughs> yeah. But, I'm just, we, I'm curious about specifically who. Uh, well, I would have hired Luke Fickle, Billy Napier. We don't know if those guys were interested. You know, Matt Campbell, yeah. we, we don't know if he's interested. I, I would not have hired Hugh Freeze or Jamie Chadwell. I, I've been very open about that. Yep. Hugh Freeze is not really allowed back in the league right now. And Jamie <laughs> Chadwell has some NCAA stuff. And I don't think he's ex experienced enough. Time Will out. Healy, Will Healy, I think is going to be a better upside coach than, than Josh Heupel but he doesn't have the same experience that Josh Heupel does. So right. again, Heupel's recruited in Missouri and recruited in the state of Florida. So that's two SEC footprints he's recruited in. He coached at Oklahoma, was a Heisman ca uh, caliber quarterback, won a national title at Oklahoma, all this stuff. There's, there's a lot, there's a very natural progression for Josh Heupel. Here's my issue. I don't think he's going to win championships. <laughs> so there's NCAA sanctions coming. Maybe he's the short-term answer to sort of get this program through. Yeah. I think he's a solid coach. I think he's a huge upgrade. And we'll talk about his scheme a little bit more with Bill Connolly in a second. I just don't see Josh Heupel's up-tempo, simplified offense and questions on defense beating Alabama, Georgia, and Florida every year and getting to the and getting to Atlanta. And the goal for Tennessee is to get to Atlanta. Right. And if the if the short term, if this was a short-term fix, which obviously no one's saying that out loud right now that works at the University of Tennessee, but if that was the intention, then recruiting should have been at the very tip tip top of you know, your hiring criteria. And if that's a struggle in any way, shape or form, then this may not be a good short-term option. So I see the argument. All right. So we'll have some more reaction and more hypo conversation, some Danny White stuff. We'll get some insight from a, from an actual athlete at UCF, one of your friends who's down there. So we'll, <laughs> we'll hear from that. And, and then we'll rank some of the new coaches and then we'll dive into Auburn as well, a little bit later on. Um, and, but, but before we do, let's hear from Bill Connolly, of course, from ESPN, stats guru, metrics guru is going to sort of break down Josh Heupel's career as an offensive coordinator at Missouri, as well as his offenses at UCF, and will give us sort of like the real nerdy analytical look at Josh Heupel. So we'll do that first, and then we'll be back in just a few minutes. Of course, Bill Connolly brought to you by our new sponsor, Jaspers. Jaspers. Here's our conversation with ESPN's Bill Connolly. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. We, we do really appreciate sort of uh, diving into Josh Heupel here. And, and first and foremost, let's take a look at what he did as, at Missouri as an offensive coordinator. Drew Locke was a sophomore and a junior there. What are your thoughts on what he implemented and how he developed Drew Locke at Missouri? I mean, he's a good quarterback coach. Uh, he has a very, very quarterback friendly system, uh, you know, as far as college to pro. I mean, we'll see about all that. But um, he, he got Drew Locke up to speed very, very quickly and their numbers responded immediately. They were 123rd in offensive SP plus the year before he arrived. That, that 2015 Missouri offense was about as bad as I have ever seen. Uh, they immediately improved to 54th in Heupel's first year there, then 24th in his second and then uh, 8th in 2018. Um, like the once they grasped the concepts, everything just ignited. And so, um, you know, he, he, you know, goes to UCF and, and kind of picks up where he left off. Obviously he had a good quarterback situation there too, but I do think this is, you know, the things to remember about this are just that it's very quarterback friendly. He makes the choices pretty easy. He's about the only coach in the country who can still manage to actually utilize tempo uh, pretty effectively. Most teams, it's just kind of a situational thing and with, with those UCF teams and the Missouri offenses, it, it, it was exactly, it was pedaled to the metal at all times. And, you know, for better and for worse, I guess, but that is the identity and, and Tennessee will absolutely have an actual identity now. 
which is a good thing. Um, and and I can't always I can't tell. Do you think that simplified offenses that are sort of one read and, and go, one read and throw, mm-hmm. you know, Ole Miss sort of got a knock for this when they had you know the Metcalfs, DK Metcalf and and AJ Brown and and under Matt Luke they had sort of a knock. It was sort of a knock on them, but clearly very talented players. Drew Locke was very successful. UCF's had tons of offensive production. Do you view that simplification as a net positive or a net negative at a place like Tennessee, which is very different than Ole Miss or Missouri or UCF? Well, it's a net positive just in that there will there will be points and yards. You know, like it, it's not a those, are, those are good things, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's not going to guarantee you beat Alabama, and I do think it's worth saying that defenses have adjusted. It's not the same as like they figured it out or anything like that, but they're just better at defending it. They can make the quick calls. Now they're not caught off guard as much UCF. UCF still had a very good offense and a very good team the last couple of years, but they, you know, you could tell defenses had adjusted just enough that, you know, there were a couple fewer glitches for the defense, a couple fewer big plays. And that ended up, you know, making a pretty big difference in the record. So uh, it's a, it's, it's now merely a good offense that can be very good against teams where you've got clear talent advantages. Uh, You know, the issue, potentially the biggest issue is you are moving very fast, which means if you ever do run inefficiently, you're going three and out in about 18 seconds. And uh, you can, it's pretty easy to see the impact that could have on your defense, but you're still scoring a lot of points and that's a pretty defense friendly thing too. So it's not all bad uh, as far as the defense goes. What do you make of the downward trajectory of the UCF program? I mean, some of that might be COVID. Some of that might just be recruiting. Like, what what do you make of literally perfect under Scott Frost? <laughs> and and then first place, second place, third place, one loss, three losses, four losses. Is there anything to that? Is that just a natural roster turnover? What, what do you make of that? Yeah, they had some, you could say they were kind of lucky in close games when they were going through their big winning streak and that luck, you know, it always regresses to the mean. You always, you know, lose the close games that you were winning at one point or another. And that seemed to be a problem these last couple of years. They just, they had a very poor record in those one score finishes. And so you can say that's, you know, opponents caught up a little bit. And, and like I was saying about the glitches and all that, but at the same time, it would, there was some pretty bad fortune in there that would have probably righted itself had he stayed there another X number of years. So I'm not, you know, they, they weren't a top 10, 15 program with Hypo for sure, but they were still very good and they were still very hard to, compete with you had to I mean even as teams got better at it they were still giving up yards and points and so um, it, it is an identity like Mike Leach's offense's identity like lots of other offenses have an identity it's a strong identity and it's a hard one to, to grasp does that work in Knoxville when you're trying to beat Georgia and Florida every year <laughs> Well, again, like the good defenses have caught up. So I, you know, if they field a good team, they will therefore have better odds of beating Alabama and Florida and Georgia and all that. But it's not a, it's not a secret weapon anymore necessarily, or at least it won't be after the first go round, which I guess the first go round, we don't know what he's going to have a quarterback. So, you know, we'll see what kind of advantages they get there, but no, I mean, it's just, he feels a good offense and defense we'll see. And, you know, he, if he can get teams engaged in those shootouts, outs maybe that'll be uh give them a better chance of pulling upsets at some point but yeah no it's not a secret weapon or anything like that what bourbon are you drinking right now well i mean it's the morning so it's it's coffee it's it's bourbon free but i don't mean specifically this moment okay well i was about to say like (laughs) what's what's your go-to tonight when you sit down and after you're done studying new mexico state's defense man i can't this is this is sacrilege i realize but the high west stuff has just been hitting the spot um you know between really? that and a couple of local distilleries they now have here in missouri like i've, I've been kind of off the i've been off the southern path here of late and i'm sure i'll get back on at some point well um i, I do appreciate <laughs> it <laughs> i can't i can't uh, uh you know root for wyoming whiskey i just can't i can't do that i can't root for wyoming bourbon i've i've had tasted some good stuff from those areas it's- it's tremendous. It really I know. Is. I know. Uh, <laughs> Tennessee's trying to dabble a little bit as well, but yeah, I stick with the, the old bluegrass state stuff. So yeah. good to talk to you, Bill. Always a pleasure, my man. <laughs> Great to see you. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Special thanks to Bill Connolly, of course, for joining us here from ESPN, the metrics and analytics data nerd of college football world, uh, a guy I've known for a really long time, Aaron. I think the number one thing, is just that it's a very fast offense. It's a it's, there's a lot of tempo. It's very simple, and that he 
he won a lot, he lost a lot of close games and that could actually bode well for him. So uh, again, really interesting stuff from, from Bill Connolly there. I mean, it is interesting. And I, I know that we have to take into account, you know, I know it's been a couple of years where things have been on a little bit of a, you know, a downward slide based on where they were when they went 13 and 0. Um, but, you know, 10 opt-outs this year, obviously is going to play a part. And it's interesting what he says about, you know, the tempo thing's totally true. And I definitely think that can create a gap. I, I just, it won't fix everything, which is kind of what he got into as well Is just like, you know, people are going to catch up. They're going to catch on. Um, and as much as tempo can help, like it won't necessarily make you, um, it can just kind of help stride. What's the word? Widen the gap. Okay. Or, or close the gap on some other teams either way. Yeah. I think okay. Yeah. Before, as long as you're doing something to the gap, it's fine. <laughs> that's, that's the most important thing. What um, a weird sentence. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Um, so what's interesting <laughs> is I, I do think the offense is very simple and I wonder I, I am, and we'll get into this a little bit when we rank the coaches coming up in just a minute, the new, the, the four new coaches, but I am a little concerned that Tennessee is going and hiring somebody that's very good at what he does, but what he does was really popular like four years ago. That, that's my concern in this is that everyone's sort of seen it now and, and caught up to it a little bit, but maybe not. We'll, we'll have to see. And he deserves a chance to, to do his job. He's getting $4 million. We're not. So <laughs> good, good, and to cap him. off that true and to cap off that combo. We talk about this a lot, but the, like the, the guys you have to have and the kind of line you have to have to play in the sec is just different you have to have yep. the right guys there or else whatever kind of offense you employ is not going to really matter totally agree uh justin ferguson from the auburn observer we'll talk with him about brian harson who again i think is the opposite of uh, josh heupel which is a very innovative system that everyone's stealing from and ripping off of and sort of sampling around the country because it is very creative and innovative and dynamic and I think that's – we'll get to the rankings in a second. I'll just hold off on that. But we'll talk with Justin Ferguson, and we'll rank the coaches. You also have a an interview with a person close to the situation at UCF. Is that what you would call this person? She – yeah. I mean, she she played volleyball there. Very good volleyball player. I try not to boost her ego too much because um, a, a jilted she, A jilted lover, perhaps? A jilted, well, maybe, in a, a sense. Lover? And honestly, we can't be too sure. I I'm, I was talking about it figuratively. Right, right. I don't know how she was talking about it. So. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> there are families involved here, Dugan. Be careful. She used so. to babysit one of their kids, so that would be really weird. Yes. Now I now I'm genuinely uncomfortable as a father of of two tiny That's daughters. That's always my goal. Yep. I know. Uh, all right. So before we get to all of that, though, quickly the press conference, the Josh Heupel press conference. I don't. Josh Heupel said like null instead of vol one time, which is just a pretty basic slip up. I, I think too much is made of winning, quote unquote, winning the press conference. Uh, but I do want to ask you a couple of questions because you are my press conference aficionado. And <laughs> the the first one is Dan, Danny White said at one point in the same answer, he basically or actually I think it was his introduction. He said this will be good because I came in right after Danny White was like finishing up his intro. So this will be new for me. He, he, how about this? Let's just play the audio. We had an exhaustive, exhaustive nationwide search. Uh, I know that sounds crazy because I'm hiring the guy that I've worked with for the last three years. Uh, but uh, if anything, I was trying not to hire the, the head coach from UCF. But after going through extensive candidates, we, we left no stone unturned. I, I'd like to thank the candidates. Uh, you'd be amazed if I could ever tell you, and I won't, how many candidates we spoke with uh, and there were no leaks until last night. Uh, only two leaks I've been a part of in my career as an AD, and both of them happened in the last week. So we need, we need to work on that here. Uh, uh, we got to figure that one out. Uh, that'll be one of my top priorities as we, as we go through here. But I really wanted the student athletes to find out first from me, and, and uh, it's a shame that it leaked, but we'll, we'll continue to work on that, tighten, tighten some things up. But. We left no stone unturned. We talked to head coaches. We talked to coordinators. We talked to long-seasoned coaches. Uh, talked to young up-and-coming coaches. Uh, character and integrity were extremely important from the jump. Told you guys that last week uh, and will continue to be. I have zero questions about that with this guy. Uh, we want to build a program that we, can all, that we can all be proud of. And after vetting every single option we had, uh, it, I, I obviously landed with a familiar face. Uh, and Josh Heupel, um, 
he was our number one option. This job was offered to one person. See, there, there you go. Um, I, I just think it's bad speech writing. I, I don't know about you, but it's I don't know why you put yourself in a box by saying he was our number one candidate. Just say like he was the best guy for the job. Isn't that like speech writing 101 is to not box yourself in with like a direct contradiction of what you said like 35 seconds earlier? It's uh, much easier to not get it thrown back in your face if you do that. That is a, I don't know if that was bad speech writing or a blatant lack of speech writing. <laughs> Just zero speech writing, not even bad. I mean, you'd, you'd think they prepped for this. That doesn't sound like it was his preparation process was thorough. If Josh Heupel is your number one candidate, why do you need to tell us how exhaustive the search was and how many people you talked to? That's what everyone, everyone always says that. I know. it's it, That's what I'm saying. It's like PR 101. Just don't box yourself in so that people can make fun of you. And now it's easy to make fun of him for that. Here's my second question. And he got a little feisty when he was asked after the, because he came back to answer questions. He got a little feisty when somebody asked about Vol Twitter, which Vol Twitter has its strengths and many, many weaknesses. But, you know, people are negative about the Vols football program because they've had 15 years of awful football. So they are right to be upset. I don't agree with how they take out their anger on social media, <laughs> but they are right to be upset. And he's like, what's all this negativity about? Why is everybody so negative all the time? Some of you are doing a great job and some of you are failing miserably. We're going to have to work on that. My question to you is, should you should you address the fans like that should you point out that they're not doing their jobs correctly because they're extra passionate and have dealt with bad teams do you think it's an, a non it's a it's a nothing burger because it's just a stupid press conference or or how do you feel about that you're not talking to a team that had a bad two year like you know we're just trying to get back on the right track like these people have been beside themselves since the late nineties, <laughs> you are that, that does not, that's not going to be well-received. I don't think that was a good move. And um, it's like telling someone, I'm trying to compare it to something. What do you compare that to? Like. It's a great question. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I just think again, Randy, Randy White, Danny White's very good. But being delicate in that situation, when you are introducing a coach and the re what he was talking about is the fact that Vols fans aren't excited about Josh Heupel. That was based, that's, that's basically what's happening on Vol Twitter is fans aren't happy with Josh Heupel. And so his response to that is, well, some of you guys are failing miserably. I think you just have to be more tactful with it and say, look, I understand where Tennessee, look, I'll do it for you. Look, I understand where Tennessee fans are coming from. They've dealt with a lot of adversity over the last decade and some change since about 2008 or nine. And we understand this fan base is really passionate and, and, and extremely excited about the future of their program and wants to be a part of a winning culture. We want that too. And we're going to do everything in our power to make that happen so that you don't have to spew any more negativity on Twitter. Like that, that's how you answer it. Instead of saying some of you guys are awesome at it. And some of you guys are failing miserably. <laughs> I don't know. It yeah. just felt, it just They're felt like, a kick weird. us when we're down. And also like, you don't even get it. You know, you're just, you're ostracizing yourself when you do that. Cause people are like, you don't even know. It's, it's not holier than thou, but there's a little bit of like, I'm the AD and I want to be like, have you watched college football? Have you been following college football for 15 years? <laughs> it's probably just been in his little bubble. All right. So we'll yeah, that's not the move. Can I say one more thing about the press conference? I thought that a lot of it felt, he seemed pretty calm. He obviously had had answers that he had planned out kind of what he was going to say. I will say it's interesting and as sad as it was, probably a good sign that the one that you could tell he hadn't really talked through was when someone from the Orlando Sentinel asked him about how he told the UCF guys. You're, you're talking and, about Dan Danny White or Josh Heupel? Sorry, Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel. And one of the Orlando Sentinel guys asked him, like, well, how did it go? Like, you know, you're gaining a new family here. He was kind of salty. He's like, but you just left one, you know, in Orlando. You left one at UCF. So how did that? I'm assuming that was guys. I'm assuming that was Mike Bianchi who is just salty all the time. <laughs> I don't know who it I think, was, but I I think you, was, you're the media guy. I think, I think Bianchi was answering was asking all the Orlando UCF questions. He works in Orlando and he's a salty guy in general, but a very good reporter. It was interesting to me, and you know, I'm obviously yes, I'm such a nerd about this, but his demeanor totally changed on that question. Instead of like standing up and like 
using his hands, he, like leaned all the way over the podium and like put his weight on it. He's like looking at the ground and he was like, I just like, you could tell it was hard for him to tell those guys. And he kind of breezed over it. He said that he wanted them to find out at the same time that, you know, people in Knoxville are finding things out. He didn't want one to be after the other. Um, but his whole demeanor changed, which is, you know, not fun to watch, especially as, you know, a UCF player. I'm sure it's hard to lose a head coach. It's always hard to lose a head coach, but it means that he gives a shit about his guys. So Maybe that's a good sign. Don't know if it's going to make him win games, but whatever. Here's what I'll, I'll give you. I'll give some people a little insight here. When Jeremy Pruitt was hired, there were a lot of stories. Just a, that's just a, that, that's just a media thing. Assistant coaches gossip, former coaches gossip, media members gossip. We all talk at SEC media days, at, you know, after eating smoked meats and drinking whiskey, and it just happens. And I could tell you a lot of off the record stories about Jeremy Pruitt before he was hired. There are none of those about Josh Heupel, really. And I think he's just a pretty decent dude. And so it doesn't mean that Pruitt's like a terrible guy, but I'm just telling you there were stories. <laughs> so, and if you if you read enough message boards, you, you you already know probably most of them. But none of that stuff really exists for Josh Heupel. He just feels like a just a just a dude that likes to coach ball, man. And I'm okay with that. I don't need you don't need a guy to win the press conference. Winning the press conference is stupid. So, uh, all right, let's move on from the press conference. We'll hear from Justin Ferguson. We'll rank the coaches in just a second. But you have an interview that you conducted that you would like the, the audience to hear. The most official of interviews. Um, yes. One of my close friends um, who's absolutely hilarious, um, played volleyball at UCF. Um, and I kind of have had this like brainchild of like, you know, when we talk about coaches leaving or 80s leaving, you're like, how do you judge them best? Because there's so much information out there about, you know, who they are, what you just said, stories, rumors, or he's a good guy, he's not. And I'm like, well, the best, most telling thing about someone is like, what would your ex say? Like, would your... Wait, wait, that's your, the best thing? <laughs> no, it's the most telling. Like, oh, what, that, that's true, that's true. What would your ex say? Or are they going to say, I am i can't say anything about her or him, like, no complaints? you know maybe they why'd you would, why'd you break uh, up <laughs> at that point <laughs> yeah exactly why'd you break up or you know uh they i they suck and here's why because it's like you're either resentful or you're jealous or whatever they wronged you all right so we kind of framed the conversation around um danny white and josh heupel um in with the context of like abby being their ex and so we, you'll hear us, we get to Josh Heupel, but first we talked about, she was a student athlete under Danny White. So first we talked about him and um, his departure from the University of Central Florida. So I would say our relationship is, I still yearn for the happy times and remember the fond times, but I'm definitely salty. So yeah. it's not hate, but it's definitely a little bit of salt. And obviously I think that everything that he did with UCF was amazing. Um, but to leave, you know, he made a lot of promises, and I think he backed up a lot of the promises. But one of the big things was the lazy river for the student athletes. And, <laughs> um, you know, as a former student athlete, let me just tell you, if there's a lazy river, I'd be in it every day. You can't just promise something like that and not follow through. There's just things like that, you know, and him saying that he would never leave UCF. And I, I think he had good intentions, and I think he did do a good job of but, you know, it's the same thing Scott Frost said. It's the same thing that everyone has done since they've come to the program at UCF. You know, they get their wins, they get whatever they want, they get the notoriety, and then they get offered a bigger, better deal and they leave. There's something to be said for loyalty. It's one day saying that, you know, a guy telling me, oh, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. You're 6'2", you're blonde, you're totally my type. I'll never fall for anyone else. You know, this is the best relationship in the world. And then... Two weeks later, you see him walking around town with a five foot two brunette bimbo. I mean, <laughs> that sucks. And that's like, that makes you question all the times you had together. What was your intention with the Lazy River? Were you really trying to make us happy? He goes, and also, like, really, Tennessee, that's where you're going to go for real, UT. Come on. Today, um, officially announced that Josh Heupel is going to take the head coaching position at Tennessee. So, not only once, Abby, but two relationships just completely ripped out from under you. But that's kind of like, you know, adding salt to the wound. Like, I just got a, I just had to eat a bite of a potato. Oh, so I, I can't believe the sacrifices you're making to be on <laughs> Fringe Element today. 
basically Danny White stealing Cotypal is like them getting with the girl they told you to never worry about. Don't worry about it. I'm leaving, but they're staying. Everything's going to be okay. You know, so we're like, okay, stinks, but at least we have some consistency. And then all of a sudden, he went with them. And that's some shady ass shit. They were lovers. So, you know, it's just disheartening to see someone come and make all these promises. Just like a boyfriend at the beginning of a relationship, right? Like, you know, you never see any of the red flags at the beginning, right? They take you out and they wine and dine you. They make you promises of a lazy river and a bigger conference and bigger TV contracts. And then all of a sudden, one day they just pack up their shit and leave with no explanation and block you on everything. Have fun at UT, sir. Like, what are you going to do? Drive up to the mountains? I mean, I think there's one airport that flies Allegiant out of there. But, like, I just don't understand. Like, really, those are the... I it just makes no sense to me and I'm very butthurt and I'm salty right now and I'm you know it's like it is like a pissed off ex <laughs> it's just all right there we have it I'm not going to use her name uh, if you want to use her name you oh, can I but... do. it's Abby Fleener okay there you have it uh she's very very upset by the way that, that her athletic director <laughs> didn't give her a lazy river which is fantastic by the way, so mad. maybe there's one in Knoxville coming soon. Uh, there is a lazy river you can float on up in the Smokies. Actually, it's a. It's, I've spent a lot of time in my college years up there in the Smokies on those those rivers. Um, Salty AF. I, do you like how she referenced? What is he going to do in Knoxville? There's only one Allegiant flight out of there. Like, so <laughs> like <that's> specific. Some... <laughs> hey, look, she's everybody... not wrong everybody's perspective is hilarious i found that there was a lot of things to do outside of knoxville but that's just me um all right first of all i as someone who formally dated a 6-2 swimmer as an athlete who was a swimmer at south carolina and i basically was eye to eye with her until she wanted to wear heels out at night um and then i was gen like i'm not a small person you can back me up here i'm not a you can back i'm not a small guy but i'm not I don't like know a, how tall you are but you're not short i'm 6-1 I'm like six one two and a quarter, let's say. I'm mentally six two, so I have a hard time gauging. But yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, but she was about six one, blonde, and an athlete from that same area of the country. And yeah, uh, you know, I had no problem. I, I'm I'm good with six six two and blonde. I'm good with that. I'm not leaving you, Abby, for some five two brunette. Okay. I think that the five two brunette thing was like a subtle jab at me. Um, I'm not. Fi I'm almost five four, but you know, I, I'm oh, pretty sure. That's definitely directed at you. 100%. What did she say? Bimbo? What did she say? Next thing you next thing you know, he shows up with some five foot two brunette bimbo. <laughs> That's great. I'm like, yeah, because the five foot two yeah, brunette normally gets the bimbo rep and not the six foot blonde. Really? She's trying well, good, to turn the tides on us. Good point on that one. Good point on that one. Uh, sp speaking of South Carolina, let's rank the coaches in the SEC, the new ones, of course. You got Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. Now you've got Josh Heupel at Tennessee and Brian Harson at Auburn. I didn't find this exercise to be difficult at all. Um, I have Brian Harson number one, clear-cut number That's one coach. Easy. I, I thought he's the, the best actual coach, and Auburn's the biggest job of the group potentially. I had Clark Lee at number two because I think Vanderbilt, while he was not my first choice, I thought Vanderbilt out, I don't want to say, you know, overhired themselves, but he was just such a perfect fit that they did an excellent job with a really good pool of candidates. And I think they picked a really good coach who's done a really good job develop, you know, putting together a staff. Uh, I have Josh Heupel at three, just at, by default, because he's got experience and he's been a head coach before and he's 28 and eight at, at the UCF level, blah, 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 blah. He's better than a guy who's never called plays before. And that is Shane Beamer at South Carolina. So that that's my order. How do you see the four new coaches in the SEC? Obviously, one was easy for me too. I mean, it's that's that's hard to argue with. I my first instinct was, you know, who's been a head coach. And so I kind of teetered back and forth with Clark Lee and Josh Heupel. Um I, however, uh, I don't know. It was hard. Honestly, I kind of just have a question mark. Like I I didn't really put them in order. I guess I'm going with head coaching experience. I guess I'd say Josh Heupel and then Clark Lee and then Shane Beamer. But I do know that Shane Beamer understands the importance of getting the right people in the building. He's emphasized that a lot. So I think that, you know, he won't be too high and mighty to say there are things that other people are better at than him. But that doesn't necessarily make all the way up for the fact that, like you said, he has not called plays. I also think it's relative to 
expectations at that school. Like that's very true. Yeah, like the if, stand what you're looking to get out like, of all of this. Yeah, yeah. If if Vanderbilt had hired Josh Heupel, I, like I would hire Josh Heupel over Clark Lee. But but it's all relative. Vanderbilt and Tennessee aren't fishing from the same pond necessarily. And South Carolina is sort of like in between the two fishing in its own pond, like over by itself somewhere. Like a different a, pond. Yeah. Like it's Myrtle Tommy, beach. Pond. <laughs> just like kidding. Tommy. State, like, but you know what I mean? No, they officially didn't go to Myrtle beach. They were like, Jamie Chadwell. No, thanks. Everyone is like, no, thanks, Jamie Chadwell. Um, and that's for a reason, by the way. So it, they're like Tommy boy. I just said wrong state. Myrtle beach is in South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, I just was trying to gloss over that, bud. Uh, well, I'd rather call myself out than you call me out later. Go on. Okay. Well, I don't I don't know. Like, to me, Beamer's four, Harson's one, and then you could probably debate, like we have, two and three. I don't see how you can argue any of these guys are better than Brian Harson. And Shane Beamer is a complete unknown with, again, no experience as a coordinator, no experience as a head coach. Like, Clark Lee at least has designed and implemented a championship-level defense at mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Like, like Shane Beamer has none of this. So like to me, that Shane Beamer's a clear four, Brian Harson's a, a clear one, and then you can argue two and three. I will say that if, if you're if we look at it, I, I agree with that. And if you look at it from a like fit perspective, I mean, I think that Clarkley fits Vanderbilt for a slew of reasons. Not only where he's coached, what the academics are like, you know, just the the kind of student athlete they're looking for, but um you know, the city and the history. So I don't know. There's a lot of different criteria you can judge off of, but I think it's hard to put the person who hasn't called plays anywhere above that fourth yep. spot. I agree. Um, so if you are wondering why you, why Aaron and I are so strongly and passionately optimistic about Brian Harson, it's because Brian Harson is a pretty damn good football coach. And let's dive a little deeper into the entire Auburn world right now, which is how Brian Harson was hired uh, what the roster is going to look like, what the offense is going to look like, what the staff is is already looked like. Again, they hired some guys already down there. Um, and let's bring in Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observe. Auburn Observe. Let's bring in it. just yeah. Let's bring in Justin Ferguson, three, two, one, of the Auburn Observer to give us a deep dive into the new look Auburn Tigers. First of all, Justin, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time here. Let's go back to the hiring of Brian Harson at Auburn. And it is being portrayed, as as we've read more about the process, that they threw some red meat to the boosters in the form of Gus Malzahn's carcass and then sort of closed the door, closed ranks, and went out and conducted a professional hiring process to get Brian Harson a very good football coach. In your opinion, is that how it all played out? Is that what took place at Auburn, or is there more to the story? No, I think that that's how it really played out, that, you know, people at Auburn, some powerful people, some boosters, wanted a change of some kind, but they weren't going to get total control. And Alan Green and and, and some of the people involved in the hiring process at Auburn uh, wanted to make sure that they went through the due diligence and had a search, a national search. And I mean, nobody really had Brian Harson really on their radar until the hire was announced. And I, and I think that was just more of kind of this is showing that this was a new direction for Auburn, that they did some of kind of the old Auburn stuff with the boosters getting involved and all that to begin with. But it also shows when you go out and get a guy who had never been in the SEC, didn't have any Auburn ties. I mean, this is the first time uh, Auburn has had a coach that has no previous SEC experience or experience in the state of Alabama since like the 1940s. So this is this is a completely new new, new ball game for Auburn, and uh, we'll see if it works. But I mean, I think there's a lot of people around here that are at least giving credit for it that it's something new and something different for Auburn, which I think is exciting for a lot of fans. Is that a sign of maturity with either the boosters or just a sign that the the power structure within the university held up and that maybe Alan Green is, you know, there was some talk that Alan Green maybe wasn't as powerful or as we right. expected, but the fluidity of an athletic director at the SEC level is, is, is fairly, <laughs> yeah, fairly, <laughs> fairly absurd. It, it, I guess the question is, is that a sign of the entire Auburn fan base and booster group maturing, or is it a sign of the power that is now in charge at Auburn? I think it's more of the power at Auburn. It's, you know, things are different. You know, you get a guy like Alan Green as your AD. This is another guy who had no ties to Auburn. And they had had Jay Jacobs and, and you know, previous ADs who had been at Auburn around forever. They were Auburn guys. You know, and I think it just goes to show that, you know, Alan Green 
was going to do this, you know, differently. Um, and I, I think it's just kind of a different kind of a shifting instruction, not to say that people who are boosters and people who are, have been around Auburn forever still don't have sway and power. That's a hundred percent still true, but I think it, it, it does show when you go out and get somebody who is not, you know, an Auburn through and through guy, you're going to bring in new ideas and new perspectives. And, you know, in this time it won out. And so it's going to be very fascinating to see how that plays out over the next few years. Which brings us, of, co- of course, to the coaching staff before we talk about the actual roster. Um, it, there might have been some booster meddling with the coaching staff. That certainly <laughs> is the case. So h- how much of this is, is all Brian Harsons? How much identity do, do we expect to bring from Boise State? I know a lot of coaches around the country have openly admitted to sort of ripping off his offensive schematic stuff, which is a really good sign for Auburn fans. So mm-hmm. h- how much of this, what, you know, what do you think of the staff and what do we expect Brian Harsons' identity to be? Yeah, I think the staff is super balanced the way he built it. He got some guys that that were very successful with him at, at Boise State. Uh, he got some guys who had some SEC experience. I think the Mike Bobo hire, some people are like, well, that's that's pretty fascinating considering his SEC experience. And like, you know, you know, he hasn't had really had the end of the Colorado State uh, era was not great for him. And of course, you know, South Carolina didn't really tear the world world up this year. Um, but I think schematically, like you were saying, um, they're, they have a lot of a lot in common. These are guys that are going to want to go play under center. They're going to want to play some power football. They're going to spread it out and go deep. It's all about being multiple. It's all about, you know, being a being an offense in Brian Harson at Boise State, and you should get a little bit of it with Bobo and his previous stops. Make the defense be ready for anything. And for so long under, under Gus Malzahn, and this goes back to his time as his coordinator, you knew what you were getting out of a Gus Malzahn offense for the most part. Like there were some tweaks and some evolutions over the years. This offense is going to be kind of open up. It's I've been telling people it's more pro style than necessarily what we've seen out of Auburn in a while, and not that they're just going to you know go you know twenty one personnel all, all game, but they're they're going to do some things and change some things up like that. And then on the defensive staff, he brings in a guy, uh, you, you know, in um in in Derek Mason that I think has the same approach just on the defensive side. He's very versatile, very um you know very much a big guy on 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 technique and eye discipline and stuff like that. Because at Vanderbilt, you had to do that to survive. At Stanford, you had to do that before they really, you know, caught on and got bigger name recruits, uh, to, you know, towards the end of that that, that time there. Um, so I, I think it, it's that identity. It's that Auburn is a team that is not going to out-recruit Alabama and Georgia. They got to play Alabama and Georgia every year. They're Most of the time, they're not going to out-recruit the LSUs and Texas A&Ms of the world just because of where those schools are and the talent, the talent around them. A team like Florida – team like Tennessee maybe sometimes will get them, get them sometimes in recruiting. So what you have to do if you're Auburn is what are you going to do to get over the hump? How are you going to be able to consistently compete? And the Boise State model was we're going to make you be prepared for everything and we're going to execute really, really well. And, you know, I think that's what they're kind of bringing in with Mason, with Bobo, with Harson. Can you do it now with SEC talent? It's, it's going to be a fascinating experiment. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if anything's going to catch you with Alabama and the way Georgia's recruiting, uh, but at least they're trying something different. Well, the NCAA might catch Georgia. No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's <kidding>. a great point. <laughs> um, no, I, the NCAA snooping around the entire league at this point, oh, yeah. uh, as, as it has for the better part of a century. You, you look at the, the staff, and we, we've talked about the positives about Harson being quote unquote outsider and the, and the process sort of being handled professionally. Um, there is a, obviously a slight negative to having no ties, and that is there are no relationships with high school coaches, which is a big deal in the Southeast when it comes to recruiting, he did have a year in Arkansas. So it's not like he hasn't ever been in the footprint, but that's very, very different high schools and coaches and, and stuff like that. Uh, is that is part of that concern uh, helped and in, in, in solved by the coaching staff that he's hired? You know, what, what are expectations on recruiting and, and what is he going to have to learn about that aspect of life in the sec? Yeah. I mean, I think it was very telling that he went out and got, you know, Mike Bobo, because he had that SEC experience. Obviously, he did a lot at Georgia as, as a recruiter. Getting Derek Mason, he's been in the league, been a head coach in the league. Um, and then so, several of his assistants that he hired had some SEC ties. He gets a couple other assistants who have been around uh, the local area. Like Cornelius Williams, they got from Troy. He's been in the state of Alabama for forever um, and has been a guy that a lot of people, you know, really like the connections there. He keeps Cadillac Williams, who was a you know big-time recruiting boost for them at running back in the southeast. So, it's going to be a transition for sure. I think that's why he built the staff the way he did. You know, didn't necessarily want to just bring all of his guys over from Boise State, even though what he did there was successful. But he also didn't want to just take just from everybody else. It was a good mix. It was it was a good blend. So 
it's going to be fascinating to see what he does moving forward. I think the one thing that Auburn could do with, with Harson um, that's a little bit different than what they've done in the past is they're going to try to open up kind of in the West Coast or at least West of Texas and start recruiting a little bit more, start and pull some. I mean, we've seen Georgia and LSU and, of course, obviously Alabama pull some, pull some people from out West before. You know, when you get some guys who have Mountain West ties, some Pac-12 ties in the, in the case of Mason, like they're going to be able to go out and recruit and try to maybe snag some dudes that, you know, aren't necessarily SEC, you know, type of uh, guys from being around here. But players that with the Pac-12 not being great for football right now, you might be able to snag some guys there and, and help you win. And it's just another way of like doing some things differently to help overcome the fact that naturally, if you want to go head to head with Alabama and Georgia in recruiting, you're going to lose most of the time. And that's just that's just the fact. So um, I wonder how much of that's going to open up. I mean, already they're pushing hard for a uh, for, for a four star running back out of California just to try just to try to get another one in this class. Um, and I think they're going to start doing a lot more of that moving forward. You look at Bo Nix and his development, obviously top of mind, number one biggest issue in the offseason. So I, I personally think Harson is an excellent opportunity for Bo Nix to develop. We, we know that he's just, again, such an innovative offensive mind. Uh, and, and I think people think trick plays and kind of stuff with Boise, and it's just not, it's not really what their identity is. It's more about line of scrimmage, like you said, trench warfare. But it does feel like Bo Nix will benefit uh, as much as anybody on the roster from Brian Harson being his coach now. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's the combination of Harson and Bobo. Like Gus Malzahn, you know, it, quarterback development was the thing that people, you know, really ragged him on for a while. His offensive coordinator picks, you know, where he, Bo Nix is now going from a staff where he's got two former college quarterbacks, two guys who have coached the position at a high level for a long time. And then, of course, they transitioned into being head coaches after that. Um, I think that's going to be great for their development because when you, for his development, because when you look in the past with Harson and, and with Bobo, Quarterbacks they've inherited, upperclassmen quarterbacks that they've been able, you know, to 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 help develop. They've been able to kind of take off, and we'll see with Nick's. You know, it, it's going to be a new system. It's going to be it's going to be tough. Uh, he's going to learn another <laughs> another scheme again this off season. Um, but one of the things Brian Harson's done really good in the past, in addition to his quarterback development over the years, is that his offenses play to his guys' strengths. Because if you can do some of everything, I mean, you can focus on you know, what you're really, really good at and kind of build around that. We know that Bo Nix um, can make plays on the run. We know he can, you know, scramble and get get out and do some things like that. And he's made, I mean, even last year, his first two years, even though he less than 60% completion percentage, he would have probably eight or ten throws a game where you're like, oh, wow, he's got it. I mean, that's the five-star that we, that we thought about. It's just going to be a matter of bringing in consistency. So I think Bo Nix is kind of a micro level of what Auburn wants out of Brian Harson at a macro level, which is, we know you can do some really impressive stuff, but can we do it consistency be, consistently? Because look at what Alabama's doing right now. That's 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 the you know the the mountain you have to climb. Yeah, it's not fair. Um, it's definitely <laughs> not fair to anybody else. So it feels, and I don't. know, You tell me if I'm wrong on this. It feels like every year we get to the summertime and we start looking at the depth chart for Auburn, and we go, man, they're just incredibly strong at X, Y, and Z, offensive line and defensive line. But we've got a freshman quarterback. And then you a couple of years, and then it's like, oh, now they've got a complete rebuilt offensive line and defensive line, but they feel really, really good at wide receiver skill talent. You know, Tank Bigsby is a, an extraordinary talent. W what does this roster look like, strengths and weaknesses, from your opinion, when we get to August? W what does it look like as far as where people are concerned and where people are excited? Well, offensively, I mean, if you think experience matters uh, a ton at the line of scrimmage, and it obviously did for Auburn last season, they should bring all their guys back. They're going to have to continue to develop there. The one, the biggest problem Auburn's had the last few years is that they are so far behind in offensive line recruiting than pretty much any other title contender. You look at any other, even a team like Tennessee or something like that, way far ahead in in, in getting four and five star guys on the offensive line, but talent development some of those some of those things that Harson did at Boise State can he can his staff do that on the offensive line bringing in Will Friend I think was big in terms of getting recruiter or recruiting in that area so that and Tank Bigsby or what you want if Bo Nix can take that step forward you can build around that however it's like you said there's always something else wide receiver you are you lost your three best guys and Auburn was coming off a year where they got the ball to Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz, and Eli Stowe pretty frequently. Now you're rebuilding that group. Now there's some talent there. They recruited well at wide receiver the last few years. They're just it's just unproven. On the defensive side of the ball, the linebackers should be stacked uh, next season. You bring back 
uh, Owen Papo. Scubby McLean led led the SEC in tackles uh, this season. Chandler Wooten, who opted out last last year, and it would have been a pretty big pickup for I mean, pretty big player for them in 2020. He's coming back. He's going to play in 2021. The secondary, you're going to have to plug in some spaces, but having your number one corner and Roger McCreary back as big smoke Monday, I think, could take off under under Derek Mason, especially with him coaching safeties and having that kind of background uh, to him. Defensive line is going to be the huge thing. Auburn has not had a really go-to pass rusher, and Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson together like masked a lot of that uh, in their in their previous seasons. They're going to have a new way of like developing at the line of scrimmage. They've got some guys like Colby Wooden and Derek Hall that played well last season. It's just what are they going to do on the inside because – Auburn didn't really win at the line of scrimmage on the defensive side like they had done in years past, and, and they really, you know, really, really paid for it. So when when you look at a Derek Mason defense and all the different fronts they use and all the different schemes and the formations, that defensive line group is where I'm really, really curious about because they've got to replace some guys. They've got to have some guys take the next step, and it's going to be kind of a new way of doing business up there. So that, that that's the thing that sticks out. That, that back seven should be really, really good on defense, but, you know, who knows what it's going to look like up front. So let's put Bama where Bama is, uh, just at the top of the division. And I want to talk expectations here because LSU has major issues, but a lot of talent coming back. Mm-hmm. They still got to find a coordinator on defense, which it could not be possibly worse than it was last year. AM's breaking in a new quarterback, but their talent level is exceptional as far as recruiting over the last four or five years. It, are Auburn fans okay with expectations as fringe top 25 team and fourth in the division? I mean, is that – with a new coaching staff, or Auburn fans already saying, "Man, we need to start challenging, challenging some of these other teams." Yeah, I think I think Auburn fans, uh, if they're not on board with the fact that this might be, you know, seven, five, eight, and four team on the fringe, like you were saying, they need to get used to it, kind of because there's a lot to build. Like you are getting a new scheme on offense, you're getting a new scheme on defense. There are some holes in the in the roster that they're going to have to hit the transfer portal and stuff like that to kind of bulk it up over these next next few months. Um, and the Brian Harson hires like you don't make the you don't fire Gus Malzahn and hire Brian Harson because you're going to compete for the SEC title in 2021. You just don't. This is a long term kind of process. This is building for a consistent, a more consistent future. And so in year one, I think if Auburn, you know, they play Georgia and Alabama at home, which is which is bigger than normal. You know, that that schedule doesn't look quite as daunting as it did last season. But still, you're, you're rebuilding a lot. Um and I, and I think for Auburn, it's like a good expectation for them is, hey, this new look offense, show some more signs of life, be better than what you've been the last couple of years. Um, you know, deliver that proof of concept. Defense, you know, continue to be kind of what you are under a new system. Take a scalp from maybe a bigger team, but just know like – Year one of some of these, the, some of these, uh, you know, really good coaches have had some like really disappointing losses. Like everybody remembers Alabama losing to ULM. Everybody remembers Georgia losing to Vanderbilt. Like those things might happen for Auburn in 2021, but you're playing the long game. And so I think Auburn fans have to know that like if they can show some progress in, in this new era and build towards the future, they'll be fine. But like it, it, there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some growing pains. And life in the SEC is very difficult. Like it, like you mentioned, I mean, AM, uh, this is a team that Auburn had beaten soundly. For the last few years, they come into Jordan here and, and turn it around in the, in the fourth quarter and win, and they're only going to get better, I think, from here with the way they're recruiting. So yeah. the challenges are only getting tougher. Well, thank you so much, man. We do appreciate it, Justin. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, and just, you know, I'm excited to see what Brian Harson's offense will look like. I'm excited to see what that team will look like. How does Bo Nix develop? There's a lot of interesting stuff that's going to happen with Auburn, and we've got like eight months, Aaron, to debate how good any of these teams are going to be. We get to now we're in the offseason portion where we just get to do preseason rankings for like eight months straight, which is fun. I love that part. But your flight trackers are over, which is sad. I am a little sad that the flight tracking is done. A little sad. You're obsessed with that shit. I do. I don't do the flight tracking. I enjoy Tennessee fans' commitment to the flight tracking. And if, in fact, Vol Twitter could run our education department, we would be a smarter country. But they cannot use their powers for good. They That's use their powers. Take of the day. Yeah, well, okay. You see what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, com- I do. The potential, com- but no. Their commitment level <laughs> to tracking planes and finding coaches and all this, it's, astro- it's astonishing. It's Bama crazy level is what it is. If only it could be to mix a new color palette. Settle down. Have you ever been on campus? I know you have in the fall. What? <laughs> and all the leaves are changing and it's all the leaves match the colors of the jerseys. That, I've that's been the there... Whole- Every other November since 2008. 
all I know is the Smoky Mountains are gorgeous in the uh, the autumnal foliage in the Smoky Mountains are gorgeous, and that's where the color comes from. So, and all I know is that I'm taking the first Allegiant flight out of there. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, special thanks, of course, to Justin Ferguson, Bill Connolly, and and our friend Abby. <laughs> special thanks to all you, all you folks uh, for hanging out. Uh, also, also. Jaspers, welcome to the platform. Welcome to the show. We appreciate Jaspers. Everyone go out there. This is our title sponsor now. They're making this show possible for you. So please go check out Jaspers. If you're from out of town and you're coming to Nashville to visit at some point in 2021, hopefully, go to Jaspers on West End. It is a primo location, especially tailgating for Vanderbilt games. It's going to be a great location for tailgating for Vanderbilt baseball, football, basketball games, free parking, 9,000 square feet. They got shuffleboard. They got a game room. They got a patio. They got a giant bar. They got great food. High level chef Deb Paquette making all the things happen in the, you know, when the with as far as the menu goes. So I'm not looking at you right now um, while we're doing this podcast because I'm looking at the I don't have any groceries and I'm literally looking at their menu online. Which is I might get the redheaded salmon. I feel like that was like made for me. Um, go with the uh, French Quarter. That was a really good flatbread there. Very bizarre flavor palette. You know, it's got some. It's like Brussels sprouts and ham with like Dijon mustard on a flatbread. It sounds weird, but it is exceptional. It's exceptional. You've had more things on this menu and I'm getting kind of like jealous. I've right had now. a lot of them. I enjoy the food quite a bit. I would never sponsor something that I didn't, you know, what, what's the old, like, um, is it where warehouse? Is it men's warehouse where he's like, I'm not just a client. I'm a, you know, I don't just own the company, but I'm a client as well. I'm butchering the entire thing. How about I also get... don't really watch TV, so also this would have been like the like the mid 90s. Okay, I was hair, four hair club for men. I don't know, what it was. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Uh, how do we get you a drink though? I know you're a tequila girl. What what would you want? Let's make the pitch here for Jasper's. What would you want? My own damn pitch because you got a drink with your other show, and now I'm like, I'm feeling like I might just show up there and try to make one behind your back. Okay. I feel hurt. What would you put in your drink? I mean, I don't have a connection at all. <laughs> um, we, can, we can make that happen, though. I know hmm. people. I mean, I'm a anything spicy and love tequila. Ooh. So some kind of spicy tequila drink. Do you think and that I need plays? To think about the name. Do you think that plays with like a large audience? Like a people. Oh yeah, people really? love spicy. Oh yeah. Okay. It's gonna be like you know when you drive a car and then all of a sudden you see them everywhere. Like okay. the same car. Okay. So okay, like, don't say okay, like I'm dumb. No, no, I'm not. That's not like a, you're dumb. That's a, but if okay. like you have a if you have like a white Honda Accord rental car and you've like there never been a white a, a Honda Accord before and then all of a sudden you're like this shit's everywhere. They're everywhere. Who that's what. Who would have thunk it? White. That's Honda like Accords. if you order a spicy tequila drink, you're gonna start hearing that. And so like a little like, wow, bit of pepper, like just like a little bit of pepper. So something probably with like some light refreshing flavors but with like some kick to it like a little heat yep and i don't i don't like sweet at all like i'm Ooh. All right, they have so something called the red-headed salmon so maybe they would name like drink like borderline ginger something what if we just called your tequila drink at jasper's the five foot two brunette bimbo okay i'm not a bimbo i didn't say you were <laughs> i'm trying to name a drink after something that's not what i would want my drink to be called listen the, I'll take care of the five, name. How about just five foot four brunette? And we'll just call it that. And it's a cocktail. No, that sounds so like just. All right, fine. It's so mediocre. Um, just let me come up with the name. But you, I'm open to like ingredient suggestions from you because you mix shit together sometimes. Salon, Actually, salon, you don't. I want, you I just want, pour straight whiskey over ice. I don't know why I said that. That's true. But I like my cocktails to have like an aromatic, fresh, like herb in them generally you say you're not a hipster i mean come on no i mean i don't drink cocktails at all because uh, i don't go anywhere but like give me so i don't drink gin at all but if i'm drinking gin i like give me some gin with like some saint germain and some like fresh basil you know i like for some reason i like basil and cilantro and like fresh fresh herbs i'm growing basil in my apartment window fresh herbs all right, are we done? Jaspers, thank you for joining the show. This is the ex this is the extraordinary content you've signed up to sponsor. <laughs> just, just to let you know. I'm coming. I think I'm going to order the nachos right now. You said they were good. Let's Nicho. get off of they're, here so I can eat. They're Nichos. called Nichos. And there's, it's got lamb barbacoa, which is like lamb brains, which is amazing. It's lamb so good. Lamb brains? 
brains. But lamb barbacoa nachos? Are you kidding me? It's but fantastic. It's not lamb brains. Well, it's like it's like all the parts of the lamb, I believe. Look up barbacoa. Check it out. I don't want to. There's anymore. a whole chef's table. There's a whole chef's table episode about lamb barbacoa. Barbacoa is delicious. It is exceptional. And they do a great job with it. You cannot find it very many places. It comes on like four giant chips. The nichos are fantastic at Jasper's. Go to Jasper's, spend some money, buy some nichos, eat some lamb brains. Thank you for listening. <laughs> My name is Brain. What? My name is Brain Gall. I hate this podcast. Her name is Aaron Dugan. You can follow her where? Um, Aaron underscore on the gram and Aaron underscore Dugan and at the Aaron Dugan on Twitter. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. This has been the Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Cheers. Lamb brains? Really?